0: Coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter.
1: Why does everybody care about this country? And that is where I believe it's because it's the center of God's plan and purpose for the world and for eternity and spiritually. And that's why He sent Jesus to this country, not to South Africa or Canada or Taiwan. And so there's something about here that in God's mind is the center of his plan. And that's why so many people care about it. And that's why we need to understand it.
0: Hello and welcome to the Inside the Epicenter podcast with Joel Rosenberg. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund a ministry that's dedicated to the blessing of Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. And I'm joined today by our founder. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to welcome again from Jerusalem, Joel Rosenberg. Joel, thank you for uh, joining us. I know uh, time differences between the United States and uh, and Jerusalem are still in effect, but uh, I appreciate you uh, giving us the time today. Love
1: it. Yeah, great to be with Carl, and because it's a little later here, I decided to bring my my uh, Jordan Starbucks mug. I love it. And, uh, you're probably morning; I'm evening here. But um, <laughs> um, we love Israel. We also love the neighbors. and right. uh, We don't have any Starbucks here in Israel because we have better coffee than, than Starbucks. But <laughs> I'm still a Starbucks fan, not yes. of their politics or their giving, but but of the coffee. And I and I like the mugs, so I just want to yeah. you know, let everybody see. Okay, let's get back to whatever serious topic you really wanted to talk about. Well, today. I,
0: I think we should do a podcast on coffee sometime. I mean, both you and I are big fans, but we want to talk today uh, because we've talked in the past about the Joshua Fund and about your history and about being an evangelical Jewish believer in Israel as a dual citizen. And we want to talk, I think, specifically on this episode about why... Israel, why is Israel so important in god 's plans number one and and why it's so important now I mean you 've used the term epicenter. unpack that a little bit for us you know ancient and modern Israel can we get a little bit of from you your perspective on the history of ancient and
1: modern israel absolutely wow that's fun um, that 's <laughs> a topic I enjoy so a couple things first it's important to know where the term israel comes from. We find it in the book of Genesis and Israel is actually uh, the second son. The second uh, well, well that's that itself is a whole complicated thing. Okay, there's Abram who becomes Abraham. God chooses this Mesopotamian, we would call him an Iraqi pagan from mm. a pagan family, we know that. God decides to start talking to him and saying, "You're mine, Abram. I love you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to build a family for you. I'm going to build a nation. I'm going to build multiple nations out of you. The whole world, every family in the world is going to be blessed through you. I'm going to do something super special with you, but I'm going to start with a personal relationship with you, Abram, and I'm going to do something specific and very, very special. And we see that uh, starts to emerge in the in the book of Genesis, particularly in chapter 12, and what, out of that comes the what's called the Abrahamic covenant. And we'll probably use a different show to really unpack the, the fullness of what is the Abrahamic covenant? Why are recent peace treaties between Israel and the Arab world called the Abraham Accord? Hmm. Who is Abraham and why is he so important to Jews, to Christians and to Muslims? And uh, I think that's important. But to keep it short, um, Abram is blessed with this very specific son, a chosen, promised son that's really miraculous. He's a hundred. His wife is 90. <laughs> they don't have any kids. They're like, there ain't going to be any kids. I mean, literally in the text, it says at one point, Sarah's as good as dead. <laughs> and so is Abram. Like, what's the, you know, we're not having kids, you know. So, but God gives them the son, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob comes from Isaac. And so, and Jacob gets renamed by God, Israel, Israel, Israel. Oh, yeah which means he who wrestles with God. That itself is a very interesting story where Jacob is wrestling with a man. Then you think, well, is this, is he actually wrestling with an angel? Is he actually wrestling with a theophany? a, a Is he wrestling basically with Jesus or with an incarnate um, God? Like what, who is he wrestling with? But, but it's, he thinks he's wrestling ultimately with God mm. and he, Insisting, I will not let you go. I know you're beating me, but uh, I'm paraphrasing, <laughs> but you're killing me here. But I want a blessing. I need you, God. I need what my father had. I need what my grandfather had. I, I can't do this life just Jacob. Can't do it. I'm not who I want to be, and I need a supernatural help in my life. And this sets into motion God calling him Israel. He wrestles, struggles with God. And the Jewish people come from this. Why do we call us Jewish people? Well, because, because Jacob, Israel, has 12 sons. He actually has a few more, but again, keeping things keeping things short, he has basically 12 tribes, and one of them is Judah. One of the sons of Jacob, one of the sons of Israel, is Judah, mm. and Judah is... Like all the other sons are given parts of the land of Israel to be theirs. And so eventually the kingdom of Israel really gets divided into two kingdoms. The north is called the kingdom of Israel. And the south and Jerusalem is called the kingdom of Judah. Long story short, both are very rebellious. Both are very sinful. And God eventually gets so exasperated with both at first, he judges Israel. And the Assyrians invade, and uh, the the Jews are dispersed, and many are are killed, sadly. And it's very tragic. And then there's Judah. And Judah's supposed to learn from Israel, from the northern kingdom, hey, you need to repent. You need to walk with the God of Israel and read the Bible, obey the Bible, ask God for help. Don't go off on your own. And Judah, the people of Judah, which is where Judaism comes from, the -hmm. the faith of the Old Testament— they basically blow it over and over and over again. And the Bible says eventually God sends a, a, a wicked king, King Nebuchadnezzar, from what we would call Iraq and comes and conquers and, and carts off the Jewish people, most of them, to Iraq, to Babylon. So that's where we get the term Jewish because the northern Israelites are lost and all that's left that we know of are the people of Judah. Judah. And we are therefore Jewish. <laughs> so, that's um, fascinating. Now, God eventually prophesies through his various prophets that Israel, that he will be merciful and bring the Jewish people back to settle the land of Israel. And he does it several times. Yeah. And each time we don't listen to God, we do for a while, then we don't. So that's the story of Israel in the fastest way I know how. <laughs> and the key to know is For some reason, God's sovereign reason, we could talk about why, but ultimately you have to trust that God just decides to choose Abram and to make him a people and give him a land. And that land is Israel and the people are Jewish and you think, well, so what? (laughs) <laughs> like there's the Taiwanese there's the Brazilians there's the Canadians there's Americans there's Germans there are you know whatever South Africans whatever why who can i mean Jews are nice Israel's good but why does everybody care about this country and that is where i believe it's because it's the center of god's plan and purpose for the world, and for eternity, and spiritually, and that's why he sent Jesus to this country, not to South Africa, or Canada, or Taiwan, here. And so there's something about here that in God's mind is the center of his plan, and that's why so many people care about it, and that's why we need to understand it.
0: You know, Joel, that's uh, um, it's so fascinating to look at the history of Israel from the Bible and all of the promises of God you know, I think also the Christian connection to Israel has to be kind of understood, right? Um, what about Israel and and sort of the Christian evangelical promise uh, connection there?
1: Well, uh, a couple of ways to look at that. I mean, we start by evangelicals who don't believe that any of these promises are, are carried on, that these are Old Testament prophecies and, and promises, and that the New Testament... You know, reformats the whole system, and we start with a whole new story that has nothing really to do with the Old Testament promises. And there are evangelicals who who believe that, Christians of other uh, theological, you know, persuasions uh, that believe that. And then the, there's the one other element that might be more even negative than that. That one is to not believe that these promises or prophecies have any bearing in the New Testament era. They don't have bearing because. Jews rejected the Messiah. And rejecting the Messiah wasn't just not good. It was so bad that God was like, I'm done. Those promises are no longer, you know, um, they're, not, they're no longer in motion. Mm. I'm replacing the Jewish people in the plan and purpose with God with the church. Mm. And um, I am superseding... All the things that I said as I promised to Israel as an ethnic religious entity, I'm taking those promises and I'm, I'm saying, OK, we're, we're, we're superseding all the language in the Old Testament about how that relates to the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. And I'm sort of God's taking all those things and giving them to the church. And that is what's known by theologians as supersessionism and sort of a more common vernacular as replacement theology. Mm, mm. And so I say that because while the vast majority of evangelicals believe that these promises and prophecies are still viable and and, and in motion, um, there are evangelicals who, who, who just don't believe that. So it's important mm. to be honest about that and Interesting. maybe we'll get one or two of them on at some point and have that conversation. But the point for our purposes I think today would be to say Jesus was asked specifically in Acts chapter one, for example, after spending forty days uh, engaging with the disciples, specifically the, you know those that were going that were apostles who were going to carry on the message as his representatives, and build the church, they spend forty days with the resurrected Jesus, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Right? Mm. How does this look? I, I'm sure he took some of that time to remind them of things he taught them that they didn't understand. Before. But he's also teaching new things and things that we start to play out in the epistles, in the gospels, in the um, in the book of Acts, for example. But we get up to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, or 6, 7, 8, or the whole piece, and what you get is the apostle saying, Now, just to be clear, <laughs> when are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? Now, if God was really done with the story mm. of Israel and the Jewish people, that would have been the perfect moment. For Jesus to say something to the effect of, oh, my gosh, you cannot be serious. I just spent 40 freaking days explaining to you about the kingdom of God. Do you not understand that I am done with Israel? I am done with the Jewish people. Uh, Hello? He didn't say that. No, no, you're just not getting it. Yeah. Now, that would have been this is very much things he said to them before they received the Holy Spirit, but now he doesn't say that. He said, hey, Gentlemen, now is not the time and place to explain to you when these prophecies are going to come true. Your mission is to take the good news of salvation to Jews and Gentiles, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where I'm talking to you from now, Judea. Samaria, by the way, Judea Samaria now is known as the West Bank, super controversial, mm-hmm. but, uh, but needs Jesus' as good news message also, <laughs> and then to the right. end of the earth, where you live uh, in, in the United States. <laughs> California. Also. Amen. So the other <laughs> it's promised land. The end land, of the earth. Right? Yeah. That's the other that's end something. of the world. Yeah. So the short mm-hmm. version of that is really that um, that would have been the moment in the New Testament to say no. But Jesus doesn't do that. Um, and th- then if you look at just just take the book of Acts and what you'll find is Stephen. He's recounting the entire history of the Jewish people. Now mm-hmm. he's telling a lot of the Jewish story about uh, that's, that's a, a sad part of our story that we have often rejected the prophets, the word, the messages that God is trying to teach us. But he's telling the story of God's faithfulness to the Jewish people, including the Abrahamic covenant. And he doesn't rescind it. Same thing as the Apostle Paul deals with the Abrahamic Covenant. He never talks about God rescinding the Abrahamic Covenant, which was the original covenant where I'm going to take Abram. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something special with you. I'm going to create a family. I'm going to create a nation. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to do, bless the world through you. That was an unconditional set of promises to Abram. It wasn't Abram, if you do this, I'll do that. God just said, I'm doing this. Right. Okay. So that's an unconditional promise. And in fact, what the Apostle Paul reaffirms in Romans 9, 10, and 11, just as an example, is those covenants are still for the Jews. God is not done with the Jewish people. Yes, Jewish people are not willing yet at that point in history to receive Jesus in mass as Messiah. But Paul says, no, may it never be that God would just be done with the Jewish people. So this is – Short version of I mean I know that's kind of long. You keep asking me doctoral <laughs> dissertation type <laughs> questions, Carl, and you're going to get longer answers than you're you. You
0: know the beautiful but thing is we get a chance to you dive deep never
1: within the Abrahamic covenant because yeah. you can't. It's yeah. it's unconditional.
0: Yeah, and you know, and obviously we we'll go into much more of that in future discussions about the nature of God's blessing Israel. But what about the other nations around? Israel in that in that region. I mean, is God's blessing exclusive to Israel? I mean, how does that how do you see that?
1: Yeah, well, uh, so the answer to that question is no.
0: See, I'm trying to be more concise. <laughs> That's with very concise. Can you go a little <laughs> deeper than that, Joel? No. Yes, I could. OK, so God wants to bless and is blessing other nations as well right. as Israel. So it
1: starts with the actual Abrahamic covenant Does God choose Abram to make a nation, what becomes the nation of Israel? Absolutely. Does he give them a certain land? He does. But what does he also say as part of Genesis chapter 12? And that is, all the families, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. And part of that means that the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is part of God's way of expressing his love and his blessings to the rest of the world. Ultimately, that verse is really about the Messiah coming through the Jewish people in fulfillment of so many other prophecies, and that every family on the earth, every person on the earth, regardless of where they live, what their background is, what they think religiously, politically, economically, they all have access to being blessed by receiving Jesus as God, as Messiah, as forgiver, as savior. But even before you get to the whole issue of the Messiah coming to bless the whole world, God also gave the word of God, right? All the prophets come through the Jewish people. And all that we know to be actually true about God came in the Bible, right? Yeah. We believe that all but two books of the Bible were written by Jews. And there's a theory that even Luke might have been Jewish. Other people say, no, there's I think there's evidence in the scriptures that he's more likely a Gentile physician. Okay, we're either at 100 percent Jewish writing of the Bible, Old and New Testament, or we're at 90, you know, 8 percent. And so that's a way that Jewish people and Israel has been a blessing to introduce the world to who God is, what he expects, what our future is like if we say yes to God Mm -hmm. or if we say no to God. And there's lots of other wonderful scriptures. Uh, you know, my favorite book of the Bible, you might guess, is the book of Joel. And um, <laughs> famously in Joel chapter 2, it talks about all who will call on the name of the Lord shall be blessed. Mm. Right? And, God, he, and he's saying, he says, he goes in the last days, basically in the Messianic era when the Messiah comes and He's he and his team are doing ministry throughout the world – in that season of life, in that messianic age, he says, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit upon you on oh, people of all nations and of uh, men and women and boys and girls and older people and elderly and, and uh, people of all nations and even servants. And, and, and so what we see even in the Old Testament repeatedly is God's love for Israel, but also the neighbors. I'll give you one other Old Testament example, right. Isaiah chapter forty nine one of my favorites where we're seeing a prophecy through the Hebrew prophet Isaiah to the coming Messiah and God, the father is speaking to the son, to the Messiah. And he's saying it is too small a thing for you only to be a blessing to Jacob, to Mm. the nation of Israel. Mm. You are going to be a blessing to all the nations. I mean, that is crystal clear. Now, The apostles didn't understand it at the beginning. They thought this was, oh, Jesus came, the Jewish Messiah. Good, that's a Jewish thing. They didn't want to share it with the rest of the world, even though Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world, world, the whole world, all ethnos, all nations. Mm -hmm. And we see this repeatedly from the Old and New Testament. It's all nations. nations. That's a beautiful promise. And it's part of the universality that
0: the message that Jesus brings to us, you know, we wouldn't be sitting here, you were born in the United States, I was born in the United States, we wouldn't be sitting here if there wasn't a concept of Israel and the line of Jesus, you know, blessing all nations and blessing everyone. But even further than that, I think, you know, the Bible mentions a number of the other nations In the region and, you know, Egypt. And I know that there are those that uh, don't focus on those things. But it's really important to remember that it's Israel and these other nations and all of the world as a result. Uh, when we bless Israel, when we see that blessing that God is doing there, we also see God blessing
1: other nations around the world as well. Pastor well, that's right, Carl. And even from the conception of the Joshua Fund in 2006, as Lynn and I and and the early people that we were inviting to be on our board, right from the beginning, we said, we just don't believe theologically that God only loves Jewish people. And I don't think that the ministry should be restricted and exclusively focused on blessing Israel. You know, Lynn and I don't think that's right. Now, we understand why, and we, we probably understand better today, why ministries choose one or the other. <laughs> not because they necessarily theologically think the other team, the Arabs or the Persians or the, you know, the Chinese or whomever, you know, they need the gospel and Israel doesn't or vice versa. No, 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 it's not that. It, but, but it's complicated yeah. to try to do both, to bless Israel and her neighbors. It's easy to say— challenging to do but part of it you know was not just theology i I may have mentioned this in our er, one of our early discussions for one of the initial podcasts but i have a lebanese brother-in-law lynn's sister younger sister married an amazingly wonderful uh brother uh who, who was born and raised in lebanon an arab believer uh he wasn't a believer in Lebanon, he didn't come to faith until his family escaped from Lebanon because of the trauma of the Civil War in the mm. 19, late, mid to late 1970s yes. and early 80s. Yeah. Their family escaped out of Beirut. But he grew up in a, an apartment building in Beirut living in the hallway because there were so many bombs and explosions wow. and machine guns going off around them. They had to be away from the windows and the building would rock. It, it's, uh, wow. it's quite a story. But it, he lived 15 minutes away. He married my sister-in-law. His name is Dan. Dan and Susan lived 15 minutes away when we lived in the United States. And uh, what was I going to do? You know, every time we saw them, we're going to like, oh, hey, Dan, we're doing more with Joshua and to bless Israel. (laughs) I mean, you guys, you're on your own. (laughs) Us, we're doing great. It just just didn't seem right. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) So um, the first financial gift that Joshua never gave wasn't to Israel. It was to Lebanese Christians during the 2006 uh, missile war. So that Lebanese Christians could reach out to their devastated Muslim neighbors, uh, they were getting hit by Israeli rockets. In return, how can we love them? How can we serve them? How can we bless them? Uh, And that was so. We believe it. it, It's a practical. uh, It's not just theological. All good theology should lead to good practice.
0: That's a great statement. It actually sounds like a like one of those things Linus and Charlie Brown would say, you know. uh, (laughs) We want to get back to that in just a second, but I want to take a quick break here for something that our listeners will be really excited to hear about. This is Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. Scripture tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Would you take a moment right now To pray for our staff at the Joshua Fund as they work to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. We're in a battle against the evil one, and your prayers make all the difference. Joel, I want to get back to this idea you know, God's blessing to Israel and her neighbors. You know, there's a lot of confusion I would say I think it's fair to say there's a lot of confusion among Christians about what some have called sort of a hyper religious excitement over Israel Israel uh, above all Israel first right. is that healthy and really what is a healthy excitement and focus on Israel because we do know
1: it's central to God's plan but what what's really healthy there That's a very perceptive question because I think that that many Christians, including evangelicals who don't agree with where I'm coming from about God's specific heart, plan, purpose, even in the New Testament era about Israel and the Jewish people, set aside their theology. They have seen nuttiness <laughs> in some of Is the. Is that a technical uh, the term? Yeah, it is. It's a turn. It's not just peanut butter. You can have nuttiness in many different areas. And, you know, some people like creamy jiff, uh, but <laughs> others like nutty. And um, I like nutty, but I don't like nutty when it comes to theology and practice. And so so the church has done something odd. And I'll, we'll limit it now to the evangelical church. Let's just say for many, you know, centuries, Christians didn't show love Care compassion to the Jewish people who were mostly living in exile because of sin. But Christians were supposed to be the ones to love them and show compassion to them, even if they were under God's judgment in the sense of being out of the land until God was ready to bring them back and they were ready to turn back to him. But that didn't always happen. Uh, Tragically, we have, you know, one of the, the great stars of Protestant Christianity is Martin Luther. Martin Luther had a love for Jewish people uh, at first, and he was so, was so passionate, of course, about his love for Christ, Jesus Christ, and he wanted to tell everybody about Jesus and you know, share the good news, right? He wasn't evangelical in that sense. But he, he got super frustrated because no Jewish person would listen to him. They wouldn't say yes. And this created not just anger, it created a root of bitterness in him. And as he got late in his life, he also got quite ill. There were, I think, some issues of dementia and other you know, ailments that were affecting how he thought. But the tragic result of it was he became very anti Semitic. Now, it's impossible biblically to be anti Semitic because Jesus is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. If you hate Jewish people, uh, you've got a problem with Jesus. Yeah. If you know, Jesus' first disciples Jewish, Hate Jewish people, like hate them, like want to kill them and destroy them. How do you account for Jesus? Like, and and Jesus says he's got a plan for the Jewish people. Paul says, I love them. They don't quite get it yet, but you know Romans nine, ten, eleven. I, but I might, might, I would go to hell. He basically says, Paul says, if I could just get every Jewish person to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that's that's how strongly I feel about it. Which would mean that we're supposed to feel that strongly about it. But okay. Martin Luther, he just didn't get it. And he got angry and he ended up writing a book called – a little pamphlet – called On the Jews and Their Lies. And the short version is it was a horribly anti-Semitic screed which called on the Christian community, the the nascent Protestant community, to destroy synagogues, burn Torahs, beat up Jews. It was just horrible. And – it then entered into a history, unfortunately, of some, not all, but some, significant Roman Catholic animosity and hatred of Jewish people, and it just, it was toxic in Europe during that period. Now, eventually, Adolf Hitler, who was anti-Christian, anti-Jesus, anti-Bible, but he was so evil, he was also clever, and he knew that the Martin Luther was the founder of Lutheranism, uh, the Lutheran Church, the state mm-hmm. church in Germany. And he decided to quote these anti-Semitic statements by Luther and use them to sort of sort of justify his own anti-Semitism and his own horror that led to the Holocaust. So all that to say, um, <laughs> there's an issue here. And um, unpacking these issues for a moment, is just to say that Christians have not always handled Correctly, what the Bible says about God's love for the Jewish people. Yeah. And when you have bad theology, you know, I just said good theology leads to good practice. Yeah. But bad theology can lead to very dark and bad places as an implication. Like, well, if God, you know, hates Jews, I should hate them too. Um, Martin Luther told me I should beat up Jews and burn their synagogues, so maybe the yeah. bad idea. You know, Joel, it, it, it reminds me of a of an incident that happened to
0: my wife and I uh, a few years ago. You know, I come from a German background. Uh, my family is uh, extended from Germany, and and my wife and I uh, a few years ago had we got an invitation from a very prominent rabbi in Los Angeles to come for Shabbat uh, dinner on a Friday night, and of course, it was amazing amazing food, amazing fellowship, amazing conversation. But at one point in time, he said, he looked at me, he said, you know, what is really remarkable is that uh, for myself, Torah scholar and historical generations of Jewish belief and my ancestors fled Germany um, during the time of some of the pogroms and some of the the situations of persecution. And here you are as a Christian, German, American Mm -hmm. And what he didn't know was that my great uncle, who later uh, became an American citizen, actually fought for the Wehrmacht in World War II. And, uh, you know, we had this amazing reconciliation conversation that was not about us, because we we were friends, but about the history of Mm -hmm. our peoples, the Jews in Germany, and uh, where that came from and how so much of our uh, world and our lives have been shaped by these kinds of tremendously powerful conflicts. But I want to get back to what you were saying. And, and are we saying right now that, that maybe modern evangelicals to some degree are, are, are like overcompensating for that sort of history? Uh, that sort of tradition of Christians being anti-Jewish. I mean, uh, yeah. where, where's uh, a healthy are. balance there?
1: Right. Some are, but let me just say about your, your personal story. It's just an interesting uh, moment there. I, I Like, you know, people who are looking at the Joshua Fund and saying, why exactly would the board of the Joshua Fund hire a guy who, you know, this is his background? Because it's not you, and number one. And number two, that's what biblical reconciliation is. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. If you go back in our family's background, we got sinners also. And the question is. Can anybody be redeemed? Is there any second chances? Is there any way that God can take people who have made serious mistakes in our own lives and our and our families' lives? We're not responsible for our forebears, but but that could seem like a huge impediment to me as a Rosenberg to hire a Mueller to help blast. No, but that's but in Christ everything's different. The whole Amen. the reset comes because Christ has said, "Yeah, I get it. You're all a bunch of bad people, but I'm." And I want to change everything. I want to redeem you. I want to show people how good this good news is by taking people who don't get it and helping them to get it and then becoming part of the story, stepping into the story. And a German Christian who loves Jews and Arabs, that's awesome. That is the story of the Joshua Fund, right? It's not just getting Jewish people to listen to the gospel. It's helping Christians of all backgrounds to say, how are we part of this story? So that's, I'm super happy about that. And um, and I think we need to get into more of your story over time. <laughs> but yes, so, so if you have that background of uh, Roman Catholic uh, history, not exclusively, but largely anti-Jewish, and then you have a lot of, the, the founder of Protestantism, right? The original reformer. So the good news is, Post-World War II evangelicalism has completely course-corrected. Why? Because, well, mostly because the Holy Spirit is telling the, the church, you got to get back to the Bible. Don't listen to Luther. Luther's not the pope, and even if he was the pope, he, 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 you don't listen to people about everything. The Bible is our highest authority. That's what it it's means to be an evangelical. So Luther had a lot of important things to say. But test everything that Luther said against the Bible and what fits, keep going. If it doesn't fit, go, that's too bad. <laughs> even Luther up, said,
0: sola scriptura, right? <laughs> right? Only scripture yeah. as authority, yeah. right? He, he said so. it.
1: And, you know, and like King David, you know, a man after God's own heart, and then there's the Bathsheba story. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, you, you've got even the, the most wonderful people that are used by God have some serious flaws. So the good news is evangelicalism has course corrected because it's gotten back to Genesis through Revelation and said, you know what? The story of the Bible is not simply the creation of man, the fall of man, the coming of Jesus, the redemption of man, and the eventual second coming. Now, that is one way to tell the story, and many churches tell that story. But when you tell this, the story of the Bible that way, you've just removed the entire story of the Jewish people Just removed it. Yeah. and you're like how come so much of the old testament and the new deals with the Jewish people you can't remove it so the good news is as evangelicals have gone back to sola scriptura and gotten back to what did the bible actually say that has been good and that's gotten healthy but then some make a mistake and and where where this sort of hyper-Zionism or hyper-Christian Zionism or super love for Jewish people that gets unhealthy is when you begin to say the church used to either denigrate, hate, or just not pay attention to Jewish people. Now let's give all our, our attention to Israel, Jewish people, and Judaism. And unfortunately, there are some who basically are elevating Jewish practice, Jewish teaching, rabbinic Teaching um, non-biblical teaching, to a higher level than the Bible. Yeah. And when you do that, you can so dramatically course correct that it's not correct. Now you're treating Israel and Judaism and Jewish people as an idol where a rabbi, oh, he must know all because he's Jewish and God loves the Jewish people and God has blessed the Jewish people so much we should listen to a rabbi who doesn't even believe in Jesus. Mm. That's not healthy. Yeah. And when you support Israel so much but you say, don't worry, we're never going to tell Jewish people about Jesus, that's another way inadvertently. Like, I don't want to offend Jewish people. I don't want to offend Israel. So I'm going to give political support, financial support, whatever I can do. But don't worry. I'm never going to tell a Jewish person about Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about being coercive, deceptive, mean, but the most anti-Semitic thing. Hmm possibly do is deny a Jewish person the right to at least hear Mm. that the Messiah has come is coming back and there's a consequence for knowing him or not knowing him Mm. if you won't tell a Jewish person this good news this truth you are denying somebody something of eternal significance and that's true about a Gentile too but I'm just using it in the Jewish context so I've got a problem with with some even juggles who are just they become a little obsessed about Israel and Judaism and it's it's not healthy but doesn't mean they're bad people but we need to help them get back to the scriptures being the highest authority.
0: That's what I love about the perspective you bring Joel that it, that it's blessing Israel and her neighbors and it's this idea of how we balance some of these extreme viewpoints. I think we, our world needs that these days. We've just jumped into such hyperbolic uh, statements and, and made so many things idols, as you've said, statements. So maybe we can move to a little bit of a difference. You know, you know if we do care about Israel, and in a healthy way, uh, want to make sure that every Jew and Gentile in the land and in the epicenter get the opportunity to hear the gospel— what are some of the things that the Joshua Fund is doing to bless Israel? How are we practically making this happen?
1: Right. Well, we, we take the language of blessing Israel from the Abrahamic covenant. For listeners who are just beginning to become aware of even what the Joshua Fund is, maybe, maybe they've heard of me, but they never heard of this ministry that we started in 2006, of which you are our uh, wonderful new executive director It's important to know that what we're trying to do is educate and mobilize Christians, Christ followers, to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, meaning being clear about why we're doing it, Mm -hmm. according to the Abrahamic covenant, specifically according to Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. That's basically the, the mission statement of the Joshua Fund. And By emphasizing the Abrahamic covenant and and specifically the passage in Genesis chapter 12, what we're saying is God is taking a man who doesn't know him and he's saying, I want you to know me. And as you know me, I'm going to bless you Mm. in a number of different ways. And as you're blessed by knowing me, I'm going to make you a blessing to other people, to all the families of the earth can be blessed through you and my relationship with you and what I'm going to do through you and your descendants. That's the story of blessing. And that blessing is continuing on throughout the scriptures. It's fulfilled in the coming of the Jewish Messiah through the Abrahamic, Isaac, you know, Jacob line through King David to Jesus. And then Jesus accelerates this blessing by telling his followers, now go And take this good news and show compassion and care for the poor and teach my word and and live it so that everybody has a chance to know God the way Abraham knew him the way Isaac knew him the way Jacob knew him the way you know him and even better than they knew him because there were still pieces that they didn't fully understand that God had not revealed to them so this issue of blessing is important now the question of course is what does it mean to bless and you know there's you know well, find we'll, that out and read the <laughs> whole book. But, but some of the, so so some of the, so certainly the most the, the most important way to bless people is to give them a chance to know God personally. I love where we're going with this
0: because I think the idea of blessing is more than just a, a few words or, or nice things. You know, Jesus really gives us a good example of that. You know, just don't say, you know, be warm and be filled. Right? I mean, we have stuff to do that makes a difference. And I'm, I'm looking forward to some of our future episodes where we talk about what we're doing and how we're seeing the Joshua Fund and others that we partner with blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. But uh, Joel, I want to I want to uh, wrap us up on this part. We've talked a lot about Israel. We've talked a lot about the importance of Israel. I'm also really want to encourage all of our listeners to pray for Israel, pray for the Joshua Fund in particular, but in many ministries, what we're doing and how we're doing to bless Israel at this time. It's an important thing that we take away from this podcast, is that uh, God has bestowed a special blessing on Israel. He is using Israel to bless all of the nations, and uh, the most important blessing that Israel gives to all the nations is Jesus Christ. So uh, I'm excited about the future that we do uh, with the conversations that we'll have And again, Joel, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. Again, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, My name is Carl Muller. I'm the executive director of the Joshua Fund, a ministry that, as we've said, seeks to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. For Joel Rosenberg and the Joshua Fund, thanks for listening.